Good evening, and welcome to Guitar Wank Podcast. Here we go again, fellas, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I am your host, Troy McCubbin, and uh, you don't have a choice. Uh, all right, this week we're going to get back with Robin Ford. We're going to continue on from where we left, left off the other week. Uh, we're going to go back a little bit. He just opened his mouth about George Harrison, and I was like, whoa! <laughs> just step it back up here, Robin. We're going to go into depth about that. So we talk about John, I mean talk about George Harrison and all that experience so you're gonna love that it's 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 awesome and um, yeah so enjoy this Robin Ford episode a couple of things uh, we have a new patreon account a page where you can get behind guitar wank with your uh, with your pockets and support us in that way and in return you get special stuff that we don't normally release here so uh, Bruce and I and Scott are getting together and we're gonna release new things that can only be released through patreon um for example i talked to bruce about something i posted on uh the guitar wank forum and the page the other day uh, regarding john coltrane's giant steps and i thought that little thing they i don't know if you saw it or not but i posted it on the page and basically they break down giant steps and go through it and they talk about it in this really cool way and it made a lot of sense it was great so I talked to Bruce about it, and then he went into another whole thing about it, and and a lot of history about the song because he's de- deconstructed that song a gazillion times, and he's really gone deep with that. And I'm like, man, we have to talk about this shit on the podcast. That'd be really really cool to go that in depth with stuff like that. So we're gonna we're gonna think about different things how we can offer you the listeners that do want to sign up with Patreon. Uh, and support us that way where you guys get more content and we maybe dig a little deeper where it might be a little bit more teaching and I'm going to pressure Scott into maybe doing some of that too where we go a little deeper on things and uh, yeah, so you just kind of get extra content and you're really supporting us and that is fantastic. Also, Guitar Wank, uh, I'll, I'll have links to that on the website and the Facebook and blah, 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 all that shit. Uh, also, we got listed as in the top 30 podcasts for guitar, uh, about guitars, I guess. So I'm su- surprised there's that many podcasts about guitar. And uh, we're in the top 30, so I'm thankful that. If you check it out on Feedspot, I believe it is, look up top 30 guitar podcasts on Feedspot. Competition is fierce, ladies and gentlemen. There's a lot of lot of stuff out there. So I hope we're offering something a little different and something a little unique. Uh, and maybe they don't do as long and boring intros as I do either. So whatever. But anyway, we're all supporting each other. So check that out at Feedspot. They said to give them a shout out. Um, another thing that we had to talk about, obviously caps, mugs. It's coming up to Christmas time. What a wonderful time to buy a Guitar Wank Mac. Mac. A Guitar Wank mug. Uh, I, yeah, mug or a t-shirt or a cap. You can go to theguitarwank.com and get that. Now you can support with Patreon and, or you can donate. Whatever you want to do. You have options, ladies and gentlemen. Plenty of options. So it's all good. Bruce has got a new video coming out, which is going to be spectacular. I'm super excited about that. Uh, and he's all pumped about that. It's all happening. The end of the year is upon us. And... Um, Will we ever get to 100 or are we going to skip 100 and go straight to 200? Just keep going. Just fuck 100. We'll go straight to 200. I don't know. It's crazy. 
But uh, eventually we'll get there. So anyway, sit back and enjoy Mr. Robin Ford, the monster he is, and uh, all the feedback you guys have been giving us about this has been fantastic. Coming up, we have Lyle Workman. If you don't know Lyle's work, he's another amazing guitar player, great bloke, really interesting story, and he's doing a lot of TV and film and writing for that kind of stuff composing uh so he had a lot of great things to say and i believe we have the guy james Santiago, who did uh the oxbox who worked on the oxbox for uh universal audio so we're gonna have him on the show as well so i can't wait for scott and james to get into it and hopefully they'll go get in depth about how what scott hates about it and james can go up your bum scott and scott can be all angry and that's ah, gonna be fun it'll be like like The View on TV. Uh, Steve Vai got back to us the other day. He's down for Guitar Wank, so that's huge. Uh, so it's just scheduling now, which will happen. Uh, Lukather, of course, the, the mystery man himself. Yeah, his book's amazing. If you haven't got his book, go get it. It is such a great read. Uh, and he's going to be earlier next year. But it's all happening. And we've got John Pisano as well this week, which will be fantastic coming up in the next... Good old John. Man, it's still going. All right. <laughs> uh, sit back, relax, enjoy this one of us hanging out with Robin Ford. And um, big shout out, Robin. Thank you so much, man. That was, it was such a pleasure. And uh, be safe out there. We'll see you guys all next week. And uh, if you're coming into NAM, let us know. Send us an email, guitarwank at gmail.com. And hopefully we can catch up or not. I didn't even know if any of us are going, to be honest. But anyway. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thank you.
don't, you know, I would say don't go against your gut. But I went against my gut when I joined uh, Tom Scott and the LA Express and went on tour with Joni Mitchell. Mm -hmm. I went against my gut when I did that. Yeah. And that led to the George Harrison tour. So, and that led to my deal with Electra Records. I've got to stop you there because I'm such a, I mean, we all are a Harrison fan. You, so you, you worked with George on a... Yeah. How was that? I, I did his only tour that he ever did, you know. I mean, he did, like, the Bangladesh thing. Yeah. He, he went to Japan with Clapton for five days. But Bangladesh was one show. Yeah. You know, the only tour that George ever did, I was the other guitar player. 1974, I, was, I had my 23rd birthday on that tour. <laughs> How old was George? He would have been 34. Five or something. So you, you're playing with a, f I mean, I, no words. George Harrison to me is just like, the well, guy. he's quite the icon. <laughs> how was how was that for a 23 year old? Well, bottom line, I wasn't ready for it. Right. You know, emotionally, you know, on, on any on any level. I mean, yeah. musically, I was cool. You know, but on on no other level was I really ready for it. Uh, it was really the height of kind of like rock and roll bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, like there was there was a tremendous amount of drugs and alcohol. Yep. Which I didn't really engage in that much, which actually kept me a little out of out it. Of the I was a baby. Yeah, yeah. All these other people. It's like friggin' Billy Preston and Willie Weeks and Andy <laughs> Newmark and Jim Keltner. It's like... These guys are friggin' hangers, you yeah, know. Yeah. I was not that guy. Yeah. And um, so, you know, for me, I, I, I kind of missed uh, that heavy hang. Yeah. Because I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. You know. And they're all seasoned pros, right? You mean at the heavy seasoned hang. drug at, addicts? At yeah. Both. At the at both. <laughs> yeah, both. Yeah. So dr not drug addicts. I mean, I would I wouldn't put it quite that. But way, in but the time, in the moment, that man, was, th these that guys was, were you know it was David Bowie and John yeah. Lennon and you know all that shit was you know like that was the that was the scene and I was not of it. Yeah, I was a baby and I didn't know really how to be there. Right. So it was hard for me. Yeah. You know, and it, it was you know ultimately musically you know George was uh, you know he he was not. He wasn't ready for it. Right. He was overwhelmed by it himself. Mm -hmm. he, 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 he was in front of 20,000 people. And he'd never been in front of 20,000 people before. The Beatles weren't in front of 20,000 people. Right. I, I mean, I guess Shea Stadium, shit like that. Right. But it was the Beatles. It was this insular thing. Yeah. Nobody could hear them because the screaming. There was all that blah, blah, blah. This is like, you know, he was intimidated. Yeah. And uh, he was doing a lot of blow and smoking cigarettes, and you know, it was just he couldn't sing, and you know, it was it wasn't good. Right. It, it wasn't good, man. It wasn't wasn't so. It, wasn't it, it was kind of a disaster. That tour was actually a disaster. Wow. So. But getting to meet him, getting to know him, mm -hmm. hang with him, I met Ravi Shankar. Wow. I hung with all these Indian musicians. Yeah. I stayed at his house at Henley on Thames. You know, uh, you know, it, it was it was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, right. That's... From a certain point of view, what was unfortunate was that 
there was trouble in paradise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which was cocaine. Yeah, yeah. Cocaine was the was the the demon. It was rampant. That yeah. That you know basically just destroyed a lot of uh, you know potential. Yeah, yeah. For some people, it was alcohol. You know, but generally, if you were doing one, you were doing the other. Right, go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. Wow, man, that's. Do you, looking back on that whole scene now, I mean, mm -hmm. do you even feel like? Is that? I don't know. I guess it's weird for even to think about, like fucking George Harrison, man. You were you were right there amongst it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's 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 history. But it was yes, it it is. Yeah. But. It it was you know like it's you know when when you actually look behind the curtain, so the idea of the romantic idea of it all is way true. better than, than what yes. really happened. Right? It, it isn't that. Yeah. You know, it yeah. literally is not that. Yeah. yeah. It is an entirely different <laughs> thing. That's one thing that I really was like, wow. You know, when I saw that Clapton thing yeah. we spoke about before on Showtime, it's like this guy's a mess. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He's throwing everything away. Okay. Everything. He has everything, <laughs> everything. And he's chucking it out the window. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. It's crazy, right? So that's the reality of it. And even with George, you know. Yeah. I mean, George is a great cat, yeah. you know. In that period, you know, I would say that it was his insecurity had him doing way too many stimulants yeah. and depressants to actually look at reality. Yeah. Nobody was looking at reality. No. Nobody was like, I'm in front of 20,000 people, adoring fans. You know, <laughs> They were all high. <laughs> you know, drugs, man. Drugs right. just messed everything up. Did, did, you, did you guys keep in touch? Did you have a relationship after that or not? Only a little bit. Yeah. You know, like he had a house in Beverly Hills on Blue Jay Way, mm -hmm. <laughs> where the song comes from. Oh, know? all right. I stayed there yeah. uh, a couple of times. Um trying to think uh i think the only other time that i really saw him after that uh was at the grammys uh when the year the talk to your daughter album came oh, out yeah he was up with uh, traveling wilburys oh okay in yeah. their category yeah wow and uh we were both on warner brothers and uh we were both on warner brothers side please <laughs> he he owned warner brothers right. <laughs> whatever you know yeah what I'm yeah yeah so, um, anyway, I, I say this because there was the Warner Brothers party, you know. So, you know, I wound up at the Warner Brothers party and um, basically George and I remember Tom Petty, you know, Traveling Wilburys. Yeah. I remember the two of them. I don't remember anybody else from the group, you know. But they were sort of like standing next to each other and there was sort of like this receiving look. People were walking up, you know, to say hi. And I'm, I'm like... I, I got to say hello to George. I haven't seen him in years, you know. And I come up, and it was very sweet. It was very sweet, you know. He just said, hey, Robin. He goes, good to see you. He goes, I think about you all the time. Wow. I couldn't believe it that he said that, you know. And um, that's all I all re I remember of the exchange, yeah. you know. Or he might have said, I, I think of you often, or yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. And I'm like, you think about me? <laughs> <laughs> wow, man. Because it had been 10 years. Not 10 years. It was uh, 74. Yeah, it'd been 15 years. So anyway, it was really sweet. And, and that was the last time that I saw him. Wow, man. That's, a, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing. 
So you you left that and went on to George Harrison. Yeah, you left George Harrison. Yeah. yeah. After that, uh, I I moved to Colorado, and uh, the next thing that I did of that vein was the second Joni Mitchell tour, which was Hissing a Summer Lawn's mm -hmm. album. I flew out to L.A. to record with them a little bit. Yeah. And um, was she fun? Uh, Joni was. Uh, it was just a total goddess that first year, you know, yeah. 1974, uh, just as an eternity ago, right? Yeah. But uh, it, it was the coolest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Wow. Since This, this then, was 1974? 1974, the first tour with Joni Mitchell, and at the end of that year was the George Harrison tour. Damn, man. Mm -hmm. You were 23. I had my 23rd birthday on the road with George. <laughs> okay. So you so I'm just trying to imagine how little older you are totally than me. Green. Uh -huh. And I mean just because I was when I saw you at Keystone, I'm putting it all together on that. So we would have been I'm a, I'm like 5 years younger than you. I right. Think. That sounds from what you said because yeah. when I was playing with Spoon, I was yeah. 20. Yeah. 21. You were I was 16. About 15, 16, yeah. yeah. So that Mitchell was one of your massive highlights playing with her. It it is the massive highlight. Yeah. You know, and it was, you know, for over that particular year, 1974 was just absolutely insane. You know, what, what I learned, mm -hmm. what I was exposed to, you know, from a, just a fr friggin' green little bumpkin, yep. you know, kid from Ukiah, California. <laughs> now I'm, you know, with these people and they were so good to me and so sweet. And again, I, I I was I basically lived with Tom Scott when we were not on the road. Yeah. And Tom is an amazing musician, tenor yeah. player, composer, arranger. Tom, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Multi read man, you know Tom. Oh sure. And um, yeah, he he was uh, he was my we we had a very close relationship. You know, he really took me under his wing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. As did Roger Kellaway, whom. Bruce Foreman has played with a ton and yeah, recorded worked, with. Yeah, we work a lot. And Roger, Roger was the key, the piano player in the group when I joined the group, and he became my musical guru. Roger, yeah. for me, is he's Guru Ji. Yeah, he's he's ground central for me. He's the teacher. You know that I never had any teachers, but Roger, you know, became Guru Ji. You know, yeah. and uh, it's an awesome thing that that we have in common here, I would say. Yeah. For me, anyway, Bruce and... Uh, yeah. Roger Kellaway, because people don't... Know, no one that who's hearing this knows who he is. Yeah. And he's like... He's... Wow, what a force of nature. Holy mackerel. I mean, you know, he's like, he's like the Mr. Magoo, in many cases, of jazz, or, or of music. Uh, I would say not a fair comparison. Like, not not a no, pretty no, comparison. No, no, just that, like, he, things happen... He created things, but no one knows about it. You know, like you know how Mr. Magoo would walk by. And, <laughs> oh no! And, and, no, no, no. Mr. Magoo would walk by and I'm knock a over a pillow. No, and and like you know, and the chain reaction would be the world would change from him just doing what he normally does. Well, wouldn't that be the butterfly? And, but, and, you know, because Roger you, yeah. is very tunnel vision. But <laughs> As Roger, opposed to Mr. Magoo. But Roger, but I mean, I don't mean it in a bad way. It's just like. 
No, but it sounds bad. It doesn't. Well, it it doesn't mean anything bad to me. So, um, you know, but I mean, the kind of person who's like blindly doing what they believe in and changes the world and the world changes behind them and they're just still moving forward doing their thing and the world is like the, 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 the shock waves of their existence is having repercussions, but they're oblivious to it because right. they're moving forward and they don't have the rearview mirror to see yeah. it. I mean, because like Roger, in, in more ways than one, probably created the opportunity and the direction for what became New Age music. Yes. Although his stuff was so beyond that, and it what it was it was sort of and again the repercussions it was the shockwaves became something else and but he opened the door for that to become an entire style that wasn't the way he played it believe me but it 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 did become something and and for the for a jazz musician who could swing his ass off and play all these instruments and yet like could still play with rock player he played with van morrison he played with Joni mitchell you know what i mean and and like really made it work and and brought new things to that music that sent shockwaves for all these other jazz musicians to come in and play that style of music later and 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 then the 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 the, the third stream music the, the the you know which of course gil evans really had a big hand in but roger's been writing symphonic music the whole time and here's this guy who's ridiculously you know he's writing symphonies too and meanwhile we're like the trio i'm in with him is just like an oscar peterson-esque but way different i mean i play with oscar so i know i mean it's it's like the concept of that with the breadth of a completely different human being you know like here's here's the world in a different way and you, you met him? You, you oh, they, he Mitchell. knew him before I did. Was it, he was in Mitchell? Attorney yeah, Mitchell? he was the pianist for, uh, with the Johnny I mean, Mitchell do, do you band. think, uh, do you agree with my Well, the, the one of, thing that I wanted to kind of interject in there, because you said yeah. what I think is a truism, which is that Roger virtually invented New Age music. Right. I, I just wanted to say he, that he had, he, he, he had a group called the Roger Kellaway Cello Quartet. Right, of course, yeah. So that was acoustic piano, cello, percussion, and acoustic bass. Right. And it wasn't four cellos. It was a, quartet, a jazz quartet, but instead yeah. of like a horn or a guitar, it was a cello. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, yeah, the, that, that, that mu- thing that the, nothing the, had been done like that before. Nothing. And, 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 and after and, that and came... It opened that world for, for that all that. What's that George pain? Winston. George Winston. And that opened that whole world exactly. for that. I mean, really, even though they, they really, in my opinion, didn't get what he was doing. <laughs> they took it in a whole different direction. Still, well, they couldn't he, play. St- well, still, he, well, okay, you said that. <laughs> well, they could. I'll be the guy. <laughs> I'm happy to say that. I thought you were self-editing. Uh, anyway. I am. That's right. <laughs> Some <laughs> shit just has to be said. And so, but he like opened a door that other people walked through. And but but that's why like my guys used the Mr. Magoo metaphor because he opened that door, explored it, moved on to something else. Moved on to something else. You're right like that he world, would never say I the, invented the world. The that. world wow. behind the world behind him is like falling apart and recreating itself, and he's just moving forward, forward blindly, not even knowing the shit he's done. Wow. You know, not. I mean, and, and not that he's not a uh, strongly <laughs> egotistical person. He is, but 
it, not in that way. I mm. mean, he's not like taking credit for like changing the world. Enough about me. <laughs> what do you think about me? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I miss him. I haven't played with him in a good six, eight months. I sure miss him. That would be right. We, we, we did a record date way back about eight months ago, and it was sure fun to put the whole thing back together again. How's he sound? Great. Great. Sounds like himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Always. Mm-hmm. And uh, it I'm was happy there was his that. arrangements. I and think it, about him almost every day. There was this weird. It was the funniest project. It was there's this uh, guy who his his parents like were concentration camp survivors or something, and and he did a Jewish Christmas record. He wanted he no because you know I like all the Christmas songs are written by Jewish composers, right? Not all, but a lot of the biggest, most famous. How ones weird. Are. And uh, well, you you know you know why there are no Hanukkah songs? Because there are no Christians. No, no, because them? because the Jewish guys are <laughs> Jewish guys are too busy writing Christmas songs <laughs> to write Hanukkah. Yeah, where are the Christians? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm wondering. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, so they're supposed um, to pick up that slack. So yeah. so we did. So he wrote he we wrote Roger Kellaway arrangements for like Irving Berlin, you know, White Christmas and all this stuff, and this guy sang it, and we did it with the Oscar Peterson, you know, the 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 bass guitar mm-hmm. piano trio. trio. And uh, it was just the arrangements were so great. God. Just I just love nothing more than to go to the rehearsal for the record date. Just know that I'm gonna like get my mind opened up by some amazing Yeah, he's gonna do sounds something. Yeah. that you just like never would have expected would have happened. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you, do you you guys don't talk much anymore? With Roger? Yeah. Only Just, because I don't live in Ojai anymore. Yeah, right. Roger lived in Ojai. Oh, lives okay. in Ojai. Yeah. yeah. Wow, man. My my wife and I were the ones who turned him on to uh, he and his wife mm-hmm. onto Ojai. Oh wow! Because they were going to they wanted to move back to California from New York, and we said, "Have you thought about Ojai?" <laughs> no, Ojai yeah. is so. And good. they're like, "No," and we're like, "Check it take out. a look at it." Yeah, yeah. We went up there and looked. Ann and I had already bought our house there, but uh, they had moved into their house before we even got into ours. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was like, bam, done wow. deal. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. Get the guru. We almost, we almost <laughs> our moved there ourselves, you know. Damn, man. Yeah. Like, Ojai, in a funny way, is like to Los Angeles what Carmel Valley is to San Francisco. Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, you, 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 if you, you know, I don't know if you've been up in Carmel Valley, California, but only a little. But it's like it's so Ojai-ish mm-hmm. in that the, the bias of the well, way the that. valley, the valley runs the exact same oh, east-west coordinate, huh? you know, and the uh, and it's you know like it's about the same amount south of San Francisco as as Ojai is north of LA. So the proximity huh. factor of urban areas, you know, hmm. and Feng Shui. It, it really, a lot of that is, <laughs> is what it is. So uh, you did, you, f- you finished with Mitchell. Where did you go from there after that? Was that, is that when the solo stuff started to kick off? Your stuff? Well, so I did the 74 tour with Joan, then George. Then I did the 76 tour with Joan which was 
equally a disaster because of all the cocaine. Um, and then I moved back to L.A. And I signed with Elektra Records. Mm -hmm. Actually, first thing, one of the first things that happened when I went back to L.A., Joni was recording, um, yeah, so it was before the second tour with her. I went back to L.A. and... Um, I had turned. I, I am. I'm the guy who turned uh, Joni on to Jaco Pastorius. Really, she visited me in um, in Colorado, where I was living after we had done the '74 tour. Yep. And I did George. moved moved to L.A. and then um, following summer went to Boulder, Colorado. And I got a house out there. And I was living out there, and Joan came through. And she called, and uh, I had uh, already discovered the uh, Jocko's solo album. I bought it because of who was on the record. I looked because I didn't know who he was. No one did. Yep. I look on the back. It's like Herbie Hancock, you know, Brecker Brothers, Dave Sanborn. I'm like, I need to hear this. Mm -hmm. And what a joyful experience. Yep. And. Um, and there's Tracy's song, of course, you know, at the end of the side one. And Joan was coming through, and I, she came by the house, and I said, Hey, Joan, uh, I want to play something for you, because this is a guy you're going to want to work with. She goes, Really? And I go, Yeah. So I put the vinyl, you know, <laughs> on. I, I play her Tracy's song, and she was blown away, of course. Right. Two months later... She had hooked up with Jocko. I didn't know how to reach Jocko. You yeah. Know? But, uh, and they, they started recording Hey Jira. Wow. And uh, I went out to L.A. I, was, I moved back. And um, they were in the studio. And I was invited to come by and check it out. You know, so I went <laughs> over. I think it was at the Village and, uh, in L.A. Village Recorders. And um, I went over. And I meet Jocko, and he's doing overdubs, you know. It was kind of a small room, like an overdub room. So we're all hanging out in this kind of tiny area. And uh, Joe uh, Smith, his name, was the head of Electra Records. He came by uh, to just visit, see yeah. what's going on right. with Joni, you know, down at the studio. It's his record company. And he goes, Robin Ford. He goes, I've been looking all over for you. He goes, I want to sign you to Electra Records. I'm wow. like, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. I'm hanging here with Joni Mitchell. Jacob Pistorius is doing overdubs. Joe Smith from Electra Records comes in and says he wants to sign me to Electra Records. Fuck. <laughs> it was ridiculous. So like, okay, as I say, you know. And uh, you were asking about how I hooked how I hooked up with Jocko? Yeah. No, like, well, we're, we're just letting one, you talk. Yeah, <laughs> okay. No, but yeah, after you leaving Joni, where you went from there, but you, oh. you, that's how you met Jocko there and... Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, because her next record was Hey Jira. Yeah. So I'd come back to L.A. I was invited down to the studio. There's Jocko, just as I'd planned. Yeah. 
And Joe Smith shows up, and suddenly I have a deal with Electric Records. I'd, I'm Amazing try, shit. I'm trying to think, what is a deal with Electra Records? Back, mm-hmm. What year are we talking here? Mm-hmm. What, what, is oh, that, what does that I'm even sorry. look like then? 70, uh, I signed in 78. We, we don't even want to talk about it. It was, it, was, it was too ridiculously good. Right, okay. So <laughs> it, was, it was back in the day when record deals Money were... Money was all over the place. Right, it was fucking you amazing. You buy a house you right. know, with your record deal. You know. So life was good then, right? Certainly abundant. Yep. And so what happened with Electra? Um, it's a long story. Right. Well, <laughs> you can condense. It's, did it... Or, well, you can, or you can modulate to another... <laughs> yeah, <story>. you can <laughs> modulate. <laughs> well, you know, I made a record with them. Yeah. Uh, it, it did okay by those standards. Yeah. It led to a whole other period where... They started, you know, and the whole industry started to change. 1980. Right. That is a that is a demarcation. Excuse me on you know what happened in the record industry. I think uh, within two years, Electric Records doors had closed in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yep. The whole industry took a huge dive at that oh, time. Oh yeah. So it wasn't a good time. Right. Is that is is that a similarity? And excuse me if I get this wrong, but to say like the grunge. Like that change in the music industry back then was it kind of? I think they're they're nearby each other. Right. Okay. By 1983. Yep. You know there was all that music coming out of um, Seattle. Yeah. I don't know. You know the Chicago. But I mean, as in the change you talk about the massive change in industry. Like when grunge hit, it seemed like a lot of artists just got pushed to the side because the music industry changed so much. I suppose, but I, I, I never really quite understood what happened then. Right. So you would probably have to tell me. Right, well, okay. Well, I only th- knew that things thing changed radically. Yeah. From just casual observation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, mean we, I don't know if we should call ourselves casual observers, but observers nonetheless. Mm. <laughs> um, record companies in general mm-hmm. are like so behind the curve. What in now? terms of technology have been oh. in every way, yeah, every way. Yeah. I mean, like what happened was 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 you know music was never even recorded until nineteen like what eight, nineteen or twenty, and then and then this huge industry nineteen group, or twenty in you know, nineteen twenty or nineteen nineteen. You know <laughs> like that was 19 the beginning. Or 20. <laughs> the beginning. No, I'm talking about the beginning. You know, nineteen twenty. I'm kidding. Yeah. Okay. Chris. <laughs> and then and then and then like it blossomed huge. Into the apex, the climax of the late the seventies, you know, when like they were just basically bands were getting recorded. Any band, record them, throw it out there, and in the it's the always inter- about the it, when the, there's a lot of money around. The industry was doing really well, Way you know what go. I mean? Bands, yeah. they and were they were, they were they were they were willing to take a gamble on twenty bands to find one that exactly, worked. and like so everything was getting recorded, and then through the late later part of the seventies. They, they, of course, didn't read the tea leaves, right? Which they never do. Which they have proven never to been able, be able to do. And, um, and then, of course, they just hit basically, we're going to go bankrupt. So they, like, of course, went the exact opposite direction, became super austere, cut back on everybody, shortchanged everybody, you know, like, you know, to save their companies and to do what they, 
could do. And then, of course, the grunge scene that they never saw coming happening. You well, know, yeah, I know, you, like, yeah, I know that the changed scene. everything. And then you know the grunge scene. And, and, and well, I know, I know what happened then. You know, you know it, and like, it just yeah. blew them out of the water because they were late on the take. And yeah. then Napster, the technology thing, yeah. blew them out of the water. Why? Because they were late on the take. I was, like it's a succession of of missteps. I hate to say it, you know, as much as it's so important to the um, archiving of our culture <laughs> and to people like me being inspired by all these great artists that, that have been archived, uh, still, it's, 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 it is a study in guys who really, you know, if, if you were selling soup this way, you'd have been out of business yeah. like in no, six I, weeks. I, I know, I know the know record I mean? industry, how fucked it's up like, and useless they've been. And, and, now, and to this day, I mean, it keeps going. You know, they didn't see vinyl going away for cassettes, and they didn't see cassettes going away to CDs, and they didn't see CDs now going away yeah. to like, you know, it's like, it's like everybody's still publishing CDs when like cars don't even have them anymore. <laughs> we're, wa- we're watching it go this way. It's like been the story of my life. I mean, if yeah, from a business standpoint, it's these guys. The whole this whole industry is such seems to be rooted in being like a day late and a dollar short. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, on, in ways that, of course, you know, like a day short and a dollar late. Okay, well, there, yeah, that's okay. what I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> when, I'll go with that. Well, I don't mind that. I'm just, when, when, and I'm sure you, you, you I'm, I have got a couple of questions, but you, you, you have to answer because I'm just really curious. But um, Miles Davis, was that? At what point did that come in? Was when did that sit in your career? Uh, <clears throat> 1986. Yeah, I was living. And in- are you sick of being asked about Miles Davis? Well. I mean, talking about Miles Davis is is a, is a joy, right? Because <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I've seen plenty of interviews with you, and you've talked. I don't want to repeat myself when it's just you know. Well, I only have so much that I can say. <laughs> yeah, no, I know that. No, there are because there are highlights that become the highlights. Yeah, you know? exactly. But uh, I think it's good to talk about Miles Davis. Okay.
This horse is branded It breaks for parts unknown Makes his way alone Taking chances Carolina gone With no plans of returning This memory will be burning She wants more There's no starlight on this dark night And it's cold on the ground Getting the gig with Miles Davis was um, through Tommy LaPuma, who had signed the Yellow Jackets to Warner Brothers Records. Yep. Uh, Tommy was producing Tutu, which was Miles' first record with a different record company for God knows how many years. Right. He moved to Warner Brothers. Marcus Miller produced it, the bass player. Uh Along with Tommy, actually, I'm sorry. I, I mean, Tommy LaPuma produced it, but he brought Marcus Miller in, who did like, God knows, ninety percent of that record. Right. So anyway, uh, they were finished. The record wasn't quite finished, and uh, Mike Stern had left the band. Miles needed a guitar player, not for the record, mm-hmm. but f- as a player. And um, so Tommy, you know, Miles asked Tommy, you know, can you recommend a guitar player? And he recommended me. Yeah. And he played some recordings of the Yellow Jackets, which he had produced. Yeah. And Miles said, I like the way he plays on the beat. Because <laughs> my time is, I'm like, I'm dead center kind of a guy. Yeah. And um, so... Uh, Jimmy Haslip 
uh, Miles called Jim, excuse me, uh, Tommy Lapuma called Jimmy Haslip for my number. Yeah. Because he wanted to call me about this. And Jimmy said, oh, you got to let me call Rob. <laughs> 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 so Tommy said, well, go ahead. It's okay. So Jimmy Haslip calls me. Hey, Rob, Miles Davis is looking for you. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? And uh, so he gave me Tommy's number. So I called Tommy, and Tommy says, so you want to do it? And I'm like, hell yeah, I want to do it. He says, okay, I'll call, I'll call Miles at the studio. I think he's at the studio. I'll call him. So he calls. I mean, we hang up, and for three days, the, there's no Miles Davis call. You know? And I'm like, holy shit. And then one day the phone rang. Uh, my fiancé answered the phone <laughs> and went, Hey, Robin, it's Miles Davis. She picked it up. <laughs> she hears his voice. Robin there. You know, whatever he said to her, yeah. I don't know. I never asked her. <laughs> she goes, Miles Davis. And she said, my face just turned beet red. And I'm like, hello? <laughs> Robin, what you doing out there? I'm like, oh, nothing. <laughs> you know, you never felt more white than, you, than right? when you talked to Miles Davis. Let me tell you something. <laughs> so he goes, well, you want to play with me? I said, yeah. He goes, okay, here's Jim. So he hands me to his tour manager. <laughs> we talked about the details of getting out to the first show in Washington, D.C. They sent me a, uh, two rehearsal tapes, cassettes. It was still cassettes. Yeah. They sent me two cassettes of rehearsals. I don't think Miles was even on them. I think they were band rehearsals that he didn't attend. And um, they sent me... Uh, or uh, Adam Holtzman, who was one of the keyboard players, lived in L.A. and he brought over some charts. Right. And we... Ba- we I, all I remember is like, Hi, hi, how are you? Okay. You know, all right. I'll work on this. You know, sayonara. And they were just terrible charts. And there were only like four or five of them. And there were like 25 pieces of music. Mm. So I just listened to the tapes for 10 days. Yeah. Learned a couple of melodies off the, uh, the Lamo charts. Like handwritten Xerox 50 times. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like, oh shit, you know. Is that how it goes? I don't know. You know. So, um, and then I went out and I met the band in the lobby. Of the hotel, uh. and I met Miles backstage right before the show, and went out there feeling like I was gonna die. That must be fucking. Played the first song, played my first solo with my head down, and I played every note I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I looked up, and he's about as close to me as you are right now. Right. I look at him, and he goes, "Damn." <laughs> 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 I'm like <laughs> oh fuck and I got through the night and uh, it just it just went uphill from there you know we had a and we had a good relationship now I've, I mean I know zero about fucking Miles Davis as mm-hmm. in you know what now tell me what kind of a bloke was Miles Davis I like to say that everything you ever heard about Miles Davis is true right you, you saw the movie right with oh yeah, was that you know. was how was that? Was that even in the ballpark, or, or did they just blow? I that? wasn't there, but I, I think it's relatively close. Right. Okay. Okay. That was when he was in his retirement period. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like completely fucked up. Yeah. When I met him, he was 
you know, I would say 85 to 90% clean. Right. He didn't drink, no cigarettes. Oh, wow. Uh, and no drugs that weren't prescribed by his doctor. Okay. So I, I ran into Mike Stern like about six months before I got the call. Yeah. And Mike was still playing with him. I ran into Mike at uh, a club in New York. I just moved there. It was cool. Uh, Mike Brecker was playing that night. Okay. Yep. It was like, this is good. Yeah. Good New York moment. <laughs> <laughs> I knew Mike a little bit. And uh, I said, look, Mike, I have to ask you about Miles Davis. I just have to. I, yeah, can't, right. I can't not. You're, you're there. I'm, I'm here. I'm going to ask you. Yeah. Just like you did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Same kind of thing. And he just happened to mention, you know, he goes, Miles, uh, you know, yeah, he was clean, you know. But he goes, but, you know, Miles has the bad hip, you know, because he had sickle cell anemia. Mm -hmm. And he had hip replacement and all kinds of shit, you know. And he goes, so, you know, he has the hip prescription. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect way of putting it. Right. You know, my guess is codeine. Yeah. You know, and the first night that I met him, he was he was high. Right. But he was in a very good mood. Yeah. He was he was feeling good. I never saw him feel that good. I'm not <laughs> saying he was bad, but I never right. saw him feel that, that good, good than the first night that I met him. He he was now, feeling good. With, after working with Miles Davis, do you get a sense being firsthand like why that motherfucker was so good or why he was Miles Davis. Like, do you get a sense of what made the man that... I would have never had to play with him to answer that question. Right. Right. Okay. Which is, you know, um, you know, my take yep. only, you know. Because, um, you know, Miles was not the best instrumentalist in the world. Never was, you know. You know, people talk about him as a genius. Miles Davis was not a genius, in my opinion, you know. Yep. He loved music. And he was all about music. Right. You know? And his abilities uh, as a player were good enough that he could express himself right. musically. And he could get other people excited about the possibilities, you know. Let's make some music, you know. We don't, we don't know what it's going to be, but let's make some fucking music. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Let's not write some stupid shit and play some stupid shit, you know. <laughs> so, so he was a leader. Like yeah. he had that leader let quality. And he was just merciless about it, you yeah. know, but that's that was the magnetism. Yeah. It's like we're 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 serious about this. Right. You know? And um and he had a beautiful tone, you know, he was a soulful dude, man. He had shit to say, you know. Yeah. But anybody could be that person. That's why I say these things. Right. Anybody could be that person, in my opinion. Yeah. He was not a genius. You know, he wasn't special, you know, like you know, like Charlie Parker was special. He was special in an entirely different way. Different way yeah. Charlie Parker was special in a certain way. Charlie Parker may have been a genius. I don't, I don't know. Right. You know, quite honestly. I don't know who's a genius. 
Except right. Einstein. Right. <laughs> it's, all and it's all relative. But it's all relative. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Einstein, I'm sure that he didn't think of himself as a genius. No, no. He didn't. He was just a dude. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know, I think Miles knew all these things about himself. He might have liked to entertain himself that, I, oh, I am a genius. But I think he knew that he wasn't. That he was just a dude. And it was his love and his passion and his insistence upon, let's, let's, let's just distill this. Let's, let's make this the purest friggin' thing we can possibly make it. Do not kid me here <laughs> on any level. Right. You know? Yeah. That, that's what I think was the, quote, genius of Miles Davis was just his, his un, you know, uh, Flinching, un, un, you know, uh, he, he, he would, you know, refuse to not do something that was like really deep. And I think there were times when he was incapable of it. Yeah. And I think he did plenty of shit that wasn't really deep. Right. You know? Yeah, you well, can't that's, be that's, on all the time. You know, that's the one thing. No, it was the drugs. Yeah. But yeah. it's not just the drugs. It's, it's also, Into the late 70s, you know. Yeah, I mean, but, the, early but 70s. throughout his yeah. career as a leader I mean there's you know and Wayne and Herbie both speak to this very eloquently it's like there's an element of this music which is like taking chances and moving forward like Donald Bailey like everybody you know doing something and with doing something that means vulnerability that means taking chances that means being taking a dare you know and not willing to settle with the status quo, but to move it forward and to demand of yourself that excellence which you can't always reach, and so sometimes it just you fail. Fails. That's the beauty of jazz, and you just do it until you get it, and That's then right. by the time you get it, it's not good enough, anyways, and you move on. You know, and that might have been. You know, and, and that's I been think, really good. I think I, and you know, and I, think, I mean, if you want, yes, sir. That's what jazz is about. If you want contrived shit, watch a porno movie. You know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? The guy's going to deliver the pizza, and we know what's going to happen ten minutes later. This is it. You know, if you want jazz, you don't know. We're going for something, and a guy like Miles, the purity of his bands was that everybody was reaching. You know, and there's a lot of. There is nothing like that band. Vulnerability. There is that. nothing like that band. Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, Tony Williams, Ron Carter, Wayne Shorter. Exactly. Nothing. Exactly. Anywhere. Right. Did did after the Miles experience? Did that change your playing? Did you notice a change it did. within yourself? It did. Yeah. Uh, just because I learned a, I learned a, I learned a, a single um, harmonic device that uh, served me for for some time until i moved away from it mm -hmm. but that was the thing that that just kind of took my playing to a different place it's basically the, uh, largely the diminished scale like there was an expansion kind of for me about an understanding of the diminished scale and and chromaticism right right well that's miles yeah in a nutshell right there so it it freed me up in a way i already kind of knew it uh but Playing with him, being on the bandstand with him, and he's standing right there. Yeah. You know, and feeling it. And he digs you. Feeling it. <laughs> feeling it. That, that, well, wow. being liked. That yeah. must have been huge. To, to have, huge. To have Miles, like, fucking Miles it, digs. It was what knighthood. I do, man. 
that. Wow. I, I look at that. I mean, you must have experienced that, like with Oscar Peterson. Right, but not with Miles. Like <laughs> well, but Oscar yeah. Peterson, yeah. Yeah. right? You know, but you know, Miles had. You know, it was the electric thing. You know, yeah. so right. Well, that that's I, yeah. That moved. I I remember thinking to myself, I went to hear Miles, and it was the Bitches Brew stuff. You know, hmm. but before it had gotten big, McLaughlin was playing. Oh, really? And where yeah, it was actually they played at Keystone, San Francisco. Yeah, oh, I'm sure they did. And um, I went, and when I heard Isn't that, it, amazing? my heart sunk that day. Why? Well, I love the music. Don't give me wrong, <laughs> but I realized I'm not gonna. Never play with my <laughs> <laughs> Too much rhythm pickup? It was like I just went like And then and then and then of course later I did kind of dabble into the fusion esque electric scene for a very short period. Kinda of when I was That's hanging around interesting. With you, you in LA. You felt it in your heart that you knew your heart was in another place as a guitar player. Yeah, and, and the fusion thing and and, and, and I, I did it because cause I was in LA and and I was working with Richie's band, which we were playing bebop. Richie but Cole. Richie Cole. But but the um, bad motherfucker. Part and of then uh, yeah, actually, we sweat. did a double bill. You can speak we, French. We did a. I remember it. I wondered at if the Berkeley yeah. Jazz Festival. Yeah, Greek the, theater. Greek theater. Right. I remember that. Right. I do too. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, and I was. But what happened was, you know, I was playing with Richie, and Eddie Jefferson was in the band. Mm-hmm. And I was playing in L.A. I some, and I got myself a 335, and I was playing some fusion-esque bands, and kind of they were all beating me up because I was playing too much jazz, not enough rock. And um, <laughs> and Eddie got murdered. Eddie was murdered out in front of a club. And I was on the tour, but I had left in Chicago, and they went up to Detroit to finish the tour without guitar, and Eddie got murdered then. And I, and I just said to myself, I said, you know, this shit's over in a second. I'm not really digging this. I'm doing this because it's popular right now. Right. I'm not doing this because I love it. Mm-hmm. Everybody I'm playing with is kind of trying to tell me to be a little different than I am mm. because they want to be more popular too. And I'm holding it back. Yeah, it's amazing. And like, I don't like playing this loud. I don't like like playing this way. And I mm-hmm. let go of the 335, went back to my L5. But even earlier than that, I knew it because like I'm telling you, like you when know I yourself. heard Miles and he'd gone there, and I was like, I'm never going to get to play with Miles. I know mm-hmm. it now. And it was like a kick in the balls, man. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I love the music. Don't get me wrong. You know what I mean? It no, wasn't I like I that, didn't that dig you, it. You had that experience. I really do. Yeah. That's 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 fucking all amazing shit. Miles. Oh, I can uh, get more ice. I can totally get more ice. Who's Maurice? Maurice. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, he needs an interpreter sometimes. Where, I need an interpreter all the he? time. <laughs> so... He's an English is a second language kind of guy. <laughs> keep, all right, keep talking. No, we're not going to keep Let's talk about Troy. No, well, I'm recording it, so I'll know what's going on. Oh, shit. Well, you can cut this and wait till you get back. Yes, I, I need to pee. Okay, well, then we are taking a break. Official break. Official break, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to say a few words on behalf of the Musicians Union. God bless them. <laughs> really, pay your dues. 
And uh, remember to work for scale. Love for scale. Anyways, uh, I would tell a joke, but uh, I don't know any. Okay, I'm going to pull a really weird one here and actually go rogue on everybody and play some shit off of YouTube that's, like, amazing. But most people don't even understand it exists because they're they're just so stuck on hip shit that they don't want to really go to the real world. This is Johnny Smith on guitar and Julie London. All right. Someday you'll come along. <laughs> what the fuck key are we in? <laughs> Watch your asses. Watch my asses? Someday I sound like Carol Channing in drag. <laughs> da do do dee do dee. Do dee do dee. I don't know. I shit. Let's go. Screw it. If we don't like it, we'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> Look at me and smile. I'll understand. God damn it, I'm so singing so out of tune, it's killing me. I can't stand it. What is this? Shit. Who you playing me? This is a really good one there for you. I love really good, right? really good ice cube for you. Oh, big round yeah. And he'll be strong. Oh, man, I love him. And, oh, shit. Forget it. What is it? It's really London, yeah. This was a... This was like a record date with Johnny Smith and Julie London. And Johnny Smith, that's a guitar player. That was Johnny Smith. I'm to oh man, name at the Johnny very Smith. Of the and he put he proceeds to play this ridiculous introduction. Bling, and like she like she can't get it. And this this is like a, a an edited version. I've heard the real version, which oh, is wow. like there's like twelve takes. And he proceeds to play like the most amazing intro over and over again. And she wants to do it a little different. And he comes up with a like amazing. Um, well, the intro is always the same, hmm. but but what he does after the intro is just amazing. And and she just like can't find it. You know what I mean? She can't find the time. She can't find the pitch. She can't find the pitch. It was just it just whatever. And eventually they just gave up. You know. But it's like it's become this famous blooper tape. <laughs> I mean, because obviously he can play and she can sing. Oh, yeah, no so doubt about it. Why couldn't they find it? But they just, I mean, you can hear it for yourself. I'd love to. I want to. <laughs> they're probably, all, they were probably fucked up, you know. But, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> but not Johnny Smith. Johnny Smith, I don't think he ever did anything. I knew Johnny. You did? What an amazing guy. Wow. Yeah.
there was one record like I was I'm very unhip to Johnny Smith in, in truth um, but there was one record that I had and I, I, I wasn't really into that kind of music that type of playing per se right, right. You know, again I was like I wanted I was into the kind of Coltrane right, you know, right. impulse right, that right. was my scene you know right. but uh, his version of Spring Can Really Hang You Up the Most wow I mean that that was already like one of my favorite ballads because I'd heard it by Ella Fitzgerald. So Spring Can Really Hang You Up the Most, I, f I found this. I, I don't even know how I got the record. Maybe my brother owned it because Patrick, my older brother, he turned me on to all kinds of shit just because he had the records. You know? yeah. He wasn't necessarily trying to turn me on. Yeah. He'd buy the record and I'd listen to it. And uh, so anyway, with the opening track on this Johnny Smith record, and it was Spring Can Really Hang You Up the Most. You, of course, have heard, like, the Moonlight in Vermont, I'm sure. No. That's kind of iconic. That's probably his most iconic... It's not on the same record, is it? No, or, no. Are no, there no, a no, few no. versions? No, no, no. The Moonlight in Vermont is very... It's a record with Stan Getz, and uh, it's, it's... Do you know the Spring Can Really Hang You oh, Up yeah, the Most? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. And, I mean, I mean, and I don't necessarily think that... Uh, Moonlight Vermont is his best thing he ever did, but mm -hmm. it's his most iconic mm -hmm. Johnny Smith thing. Johnny was just, I mean, otherworldly in his ability to arrange, his ability to create arrangements on the guitar, to play closed voicings. Mm -hmm. You know, he was the first guy to really spread the Is the that what you mean by closed voicings? Yeah, like where you got seconds and yes. thirds, and but consecutive thirds where like, like a sixth chord you play C-E-G-A. Mm -hmm. on the guitar, which is really challenging. Mm -hmm. That kind of sound, which has informed a lot of the modern jazz guitar players in big ways, you know. Oh, C-E-G-A, like a triad and a six is on the top like right. that. I, I dig. Yeah, know? so there's like a, a second in it. Yes. You know? and, uh, and he really, yeah, he, you know, and of course he wrote, what, what's that famous song that, I didn't know he wrote. Walk, walk Don't Run. He wrote oh, Walk Don't Run. He wrote it? Really? Yeah. That's his tune. Oh, fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Come wow. on. <laughs> Good on you, dude. You had a friggin' hit. <laughs> Actual hit. Come on. <laughs> oh, man. One. That's all you need. <laughs> right? One like that. You, you've had a bunch. Oh, no. I haven't had hits. No hits. Talk, what did I talk to your daughter? Not a hit. You know, it was actually kind of a hit in Australia. Talk oh, my God. Life. Fuck, I remember when I heard it, man. I was like, ah. That was played on the radio down there. Yeah. It was oh, actually a thing. Well, you were there, and look what I happened to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look what you did but to my me. record company, I don't think they reported that. Really? <laughs> I don't think they reported those sales. Fucking Aussies. Well, yeah. yeah no, man, that was... not the Aussies. Oh, they... yeah. Warner Brothers. Yeah. Man, such a badass, badass. That was just badass, man. I, I, well, thank I, you. I I listened. I'm a I'm a radio pop guy. That's mm -hmm. fucking what I am. You know, I I learned jazz. Well, then you study. heard that my record in that context. I heard all all of the stuff you did back then. Well, we talked to your daughter, and then I got into discovered the Blue Line and all that. Mm -hmm. I listened to them like pop albums. Right. I didn't listen to you them. You heard like, it in that context. Yeah, that's I what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't listen to them as. 
I'm these listening obs- to the blues these or anything. Obscure, these things, yeah. Obscure. I was, this is know. pop stuff. I'm I'm singing these songs. I'm singing these melodies and yeah. fucking loving it. You know. Yeah. The blues. A lot of blues stuff is depressing. Fucking shit. Unless it's some of the greats. But some of the shit I hear now is depressing. <laughs> it's the point. <laughs> Why do white people like the blues so much? I don't understand. You know what I mean? No, I mean it's like you know. I like. I like. I don't know. You know what I mean? Really? That's Come so on. Steve Martin. What you just? I'm yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. It's like liking the blues. It is really mi- is. Liking the blues is missing the point. Can I just say that? Yeah. That's like. <laughs> Their songs are so depressing. <laughs> Liking the blues is missing not the what I was trying to mean, but you I'm guys got it. I found myself with Lawrence Welk. <laughs> it's like there's blues, like you say, there's blues cruises now. Yeah, yeah like, there's blues parties. <laughs> there's blues parties. Let's have a blues party. Yeah. Oh, great, man. What, are we going to pass around a bunch of fucking Prozac? <laughs> Do, do you have blues do, cruise? Blues there you cruise. go, blues cruise. Let's have a blues cruise. That's let's very a, funny. Let's have a blues festival. <laughs> That's good. I'd never done a left-handed bump, or I would have. Okay. That, no, that was good. No, I, I dig it. No, the left. You, you're. No, we're good. <laughs> I don't know what I'm. I, I just to do hadn't here. done it before. I'm old. I'm old. Because you know, normally it would be like. Oh, oh right. So I was just like, I didn't know. Should I do that? Yeah, yeah, so, it's cool. It's no, totally bump cool. Bump is good. That it's cool, bump, you know. I had, I had this. I had this organ player. I think it was Richard Dorsey, the same guy I was talking about, who used to say to me. He said, "You know, Bruce, says, brothers get the blues, white boys get depressed." <laughs> <laughs> when I meant when I meant depressing is like depressing as in bad blues, like people performing bad blues. Not not good blues. Blues badly, you mean? But yeah, blues badly. I mean, what's, this is a good subject. May yeah, what may do I you say? Something? Yeah, please, please. <laughs> I would love to hear you say something. It's okay. than me saying something. <laughs> it's it's very, it, it's it's kind of interesting. You know that that whole aspect. Like, like I, you, you were saying, what, what was it you said? Like, I said, why do white people like the blues so much? Yes. But you also enjoying said, the blues is you missing said, the point. Enjoying the blues is missing the point. Yes, <laughs> so that's good. It's an oxymoron, so, right? Is that I, right? I, I'll tell you something that actually kind of changed my view a little bit. Like, for, and it was from Bob Dylan, and I, I will say this because I, I like saying it, and it, and it's kind of like a weird thing to say, but my favorite white white blues musician is Bob Dylan. Really. My favorite white blues musician is Bob Dylan. It's not John Mayall. Like, who would it be, you know? Right. It's Bob Dylan. Because I, that's coming from the point of view of a musician. Mm-hmm. Bob Dylan is the only guy who actually presented the blues in a completely original way. There isn't anybody else who did it. There isn't a fucking goddamn soul on earth who did something different with the friggin' blues. Tell me if there is. I'd like to know. <laughs> but Bob Dylan actually did something different with the blues. Because you can't. Right. You can't. Yeah. All, that's why white people, we're all trying to play it, you know. And we do, we, we play our version of the blues, but we're all, you know. And he too, you know, was just emulating. But he had that song thing, that, that songwriter thing, and, and his, the way he worked with language that he trans he he just did something completely unique. So he also said that he learned this, you know, from 
you know, a black woman in New Orleans that he studied with the blues, studied the blues with, which I'm sure is total bullshit. Right. right. He's Jewish. That's he's not white. He's from Wisconsin. He's Jewish, though. He's not white. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that. that. <laughs> okay. I'm Jewish, I, too. I'm Jewish, too, so I'm, I know. I'm not going to argue that point. Okay, we're not white. <laughs> not one bit. And you're right. And you are not. <laughs> and it's true. But he also said, you know, um, you play the blues to get out of the blues. Right. Of course. That's really the reason for it. Release. So that, that connects with, with what you were saying, you know, black people, you know, get the blues, you know, yeah. play the blues, you know, white people get depressed. Right. So what black people are doing with the blues is exercising the blues. Right. Exactly. And then all white people knew how to do was go, oh, shit, yeah, I'm depressed too. And, <laughs> and be depressed and play depressed. <laughs> But you know, and go to bed depressed, and, wake up and, depressed. And I really don't want you. To, I don't want you to ever see me play the blues. Please. You have a because uh, what a drink? Oh yeah, yeah. I have yeah. a drink. <laughs> it was just a nice moment. It was yeah. a lovely. Moment. <laughs> I don't want you to ever see me play the blues because well, it's going to change your life. And I don't want to change your life. And I don't. You change mine. I don't want to do it back to you. <laughs> Did you? You you were known as the you. Kind of made the diminished thing fucking hip, and everyone wanted to do it. Well, to get harmonic, yeah. Right? <laughs> it appears. Like yeah. The, the, the diminished scale became sort of like... Uh, like, know, what's like Robin doing there in that funny little part where he goes, it sounds so fucking cool, I want to do that. And, it, and I, this this might be a good uh, in a way to, to talk about that. Um I uh, was with Jimmy Witherspoon. I was 19. Mm -hmm. And um, we, excuse me, we, we, um, we did a show with uh, Larry Coriel right. at this blues club. I don't know if you remember uh, this place uh, in, in L.A. called the Ash Grove. No, um, I was up even in San Francisco you. back then. Yeah. You, it was right at that time. Right. So, okay, so I was with my brothers. I was 19. Yeah, so you were like... 13. 13. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, we uh, split the bill with Larry Coriel. Guitarist just passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah. A year yeah. ago, maybe, Larry. Yeah. And um, I was a big fan of Larry Coriel. Uh, there was a record called Spaces that he had done with John McLaughlin. Sort of like the, it was the two of them, you know. And I listened to the shit out of that record, and I, I had seen him at the Fillmore Auditorium with Gary Burton Quartet. And I was a fan, and uh, we we did uh, this gig at the Ash Grove. There was never anybody in the room. I mean, the, the place was empty. Like we did three nights, and it was like always empty. And it's Charlie Musselwhite and Larry Coriel, and nobody's there. So that would have been like 1971. <laughs> year I was born. 72, yeah. so the year you were born. So um, uh, a huge fan, and I, I, I said to Larry, I said, how do you play all that out shit you play, man? <laughs> Which I hear that question, you know that question. Yeah. How do you play all that out shit, you know? There is no out shit. So he says to me, I use the half-step, whole-step step scale. Oh, the minute scale. Took a 
drink a red wine, and that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't mean. He was just weird. <laughs> but uh, so I, I just went half step, whole step scale. I went home that you know, and the next that night or the next morning, and I went don 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 don. I went. Yeah. Some people get confused, like half step, whole step. You know what what comes first, right? You know. So I'm like G A flat. You know. B flat, B, you know. And I kept it going, and I saw this, you know, it's it's a perfect pattern on the guitar. You know, one, two, three, four, and then the tritone's right there, and then... Or you can slide it. I didn't slide. Oh, I, okay. I just kind of went, don't, don't. Four fingers, you know. One, yeah. two, three, four, and then there's the tritone right there. Do, da, da, da. Yeah. And then there's the octave, right. and you're just, you're just doing it again. Yeah. So I was like, there it is. And I heard Miles Davis in it. And I heard the Miles Davis flat nine thing, mm -hmm. raise nine thing, yeah. major third, minor third thing. I heard it. I'm like, this is the Miles Davis thing. It was one of the Miles Davis things, you know. And I'm like, so I just practiced it, back and forth picking technique, you know, up and down the guitar, and I made up a lick. I made up one lick to play. And it was my speed lick. Like, it was the thing that I would pull out of the box, you know, like, <laughs> pull out of your pockets, like, you I, I need to play fast. something fast. <laughs> I, you know, because it, it fell right there. And it was easy to do pull-offs and slides, you know. It was like perfect. So <laughs> I made up one lick. So that was the beginning right. of the diminished scale thing for me. Wow. You know? And um, then I started learning, actually, chords. Yep. And uh, 13 chord, flat 9 chord, oh, you can move this in minor thirds, and there it is, you know, like. And so, you know, to, to me, the connection was always Miles Davis. It wow. was that flat 9, major third, minor third. I just, that thing I just was so familiar with in his sound and his playing. Yep. And so that I, I just, I really kind of, you know latched onto it in some way and uh you know it, there's nothing that i do that is special with it except that in the genre of music that i'm in mm, yeah it isn't used and your fucking tone man i mean your tone is yeah wow. but it's fucking yeah, awesome yeah i mean but but yeah. that's not the harmonic thing you know? no yeah, i know yeah. but it, it just all melds together and it, i'm just as i'm t listening to you talk i'm listening to that time in my life where i listened to all that robin ford stuff mm-hmm and man, I just—it was just fucking cool. It was ah, just well, really cool, man. Really cool stuff. I just—I ah, appreciate it. I'm thinking about it, and and seeing you with Roscoe Beck and all you guys, it was fucking tore it up. It was it was ballsy. That's what I liked about it. It was fucking ballsy. Like, thank you. There's some guys that play the blues that they're trying to be ballsy, but they've got no balls. Like I love David Grissom. Mm -hmm. he, I think he's got very manly fucking ballsy tone and it comes across like that and makes you <laughs> as a guy it makes you get all testosterone like oh yeah you know you got the amp behind you you fuck yeah <laughs> and that's what I felt like your music did but yeah. then like when you would take a solo and go for it but with the songs we took it I to was another singing uh, them I was singing the took tunes, it to another man. place yes. yeah you guys and, kick ass it was and thank you for that because that that is Again, it's like, you know, you, you, you have to make choices. Yeah.
All right, guys. Well, that was this week's episode with Robin Ford. We've got one more coming up probably next week. We'll put it up and finish this Robin Ford series up until we can get him back on the couch for more pizza and more booze. That would be really cool. I want to repeat, Robin. Um, Make sure you go check out his album, Purple House. Man, it's getting killer reviews, and it's a... That's a great album. What can I say? It's a great album, great tones, great everything. Great, Robin Ford. Thank you, Sir Robin Ford. I'm making you a sir now. Uh, also, we have Lyle Workman coming up. Great bloke. Uh, you're going to love hearing about his story. Uh, more John Pisano, which is a jazz legend. And uh, we've also got a Brazilian guitarist. Chico's going to come in, I believe, because he's in town. Who else have we got coming up? It's all happening, ladies and gentlemen. It's all happening. So, yeah, a lot of cool stuff. Check out our Patreon page. Uh, Support us in any way you can. Just give us a like. Give us a review. We really appreciate it. And, uh, and, hey, more suggestions from you guys. We'd love that too. Or if we're doing a great job, let us know as well. We love hearing from you, guitarwank at gmail.com. And if you hate what we're doing, let us know that too because we'll just tell you to shove it up your ass. Anyway, have a great week. Be safe. Uh, listen to more Robin Ford on the way out. Go get Purple House and uh, we'll see you all next week. All Thanks, guys. Me. And ladies. Half that time I didn't love you. Used to make your own paycheck, baby Bring it on home to me I would take it out on the hillside Make every woman drunk I see But it's my own fault, babe Treat me the way you wanna do
And now you're out and running around with the boys. Thank you.